The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the hosts and creators of this program. This is the Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. The Pet Buzz is dedicated to enhancing the bond between pets and their people. Each week, the Pet Buzz provides the latest news and information on how to keep your pets healthy and happy so you can save money and have a fulfilling relationship together. Now, here's your Pet Buzz hosts, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. Well, good morning. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. You are listening to the Pet Buzz, the ultimate in pet talk radio, where we talk about enhancing the bond between pets and their people. We welcome our listeners who tune in each week from around the world. I got a story for you, Doc. Okay, I'm ready. Okay. Um, Did you hear about that missing dog that took the time to visit the local Dollar General a few blocks from his home? No. Well, his escapades made national news, but better yet, it seems that this dog is a Bradenton, Florida resident. Wow, just right where like we live. Us. Can huh. you believe it? Yeah. What happened? Well, this is really kind of funny. Our local police responded to a call at the Dollar General, and the probably really came about, well, um, it sounds that the 135-pound dog actually managed to break the gate at his home, and he wandered off to the Dollar General a few blocks away on Manatee Avenue. Now, here was the deal. Which they is let, a major street. A major, Bridge. one of the two major streets in our town. And this is where it was got to be really interesting. The staff at the Dollar General let him hang out there. Hmm. So he was there for a few hours. The problem came when it was time to lock up the store. That's when they called the local police. And I guess maybe people were afraid to approach the dog, but they found his owner and his dad came over and managed to take him away, you know, and he was grateful and thankful to the staff at the store of the Dollar General. I mean, I think that's crazy. Well, you know, if you recall, I don't know if you remember, but this is not the first time that a dog decided to enjoy a sojourn at the Dollar General. Last year in May, a stray dog, do you remember this, pawed its way into the North Carolina Dollar General. He went there numerous times and he went for one reason. Treats. He wanted to steal a stuffed toy unicorn. Do you oh. remember it was that pink unicorn? Well, eventually... As he, once again, the employees were tolerant at Dollar General. Eventually, employees called the Duplin County Animal Services for assistance. Once animal control arrived, they uh, they didn't know what to do because the dog kept trying to go back to the. So anyway, the animal control officers bought the canine, his coveted unicorn, and took him back to the local shelter. The dog is named now Sizu and was transferred back to the local shelter and now he has a forever home and still he has his pink toy unicorn the unicorn is pretty big it's probably like two feet long it's pretty i mean i actually went to dollar general and bought it because i wanted to see i didn't get a pink one though i got a green one i was kind of disappointed it's a nice warm story it is but you know i i guess dollar general attracts dogs for not only <laughs> its atmosphere and um non-catering staff because they let him run her all of the store but for its merchandise too wouldn't you agree i certainly think so well, I think it's a great story, don't you? Great story. But let's talk about this week's show. This week, 
we are talking about cats spreading COVID to humans, an update about the Yulin Dog Meat Festival in China. Yuck. Yuck. And how a little boy showed kindness to a cat he bumped into in the rain. And in segment one, as much as we love our furry friends and family members, your HVAC system may not feel the same way. Pet odor can become trapped in the air filter, which spreads throughout your home. Pet dander may also lead to allergies that you, your loved one, or your guests to your home, they can become ill. Fear not. So with the help of our next guest, Heather Zabicki of Brown Heating and Cooling in Palmetto, Florida, we will learn the importance of clean air ducts and maintaining our HVAC systems as pet owners. Heather, welcome to the Pet Buzz. Hi, Charlotte. Thanks for having me. So excited you're here. So, Heather, why do pet owners need to clean air ducts? So, pet owners um, specifically need to be a little bit more concerned than the average homeowner. Um, When you're letting your pets outside, they're bringing back all sorts of debris, dirt, living organisms into your home. So that, along with their fur, can get sucked up into your HVAC system and then ultimately into your duct work. Um, Getting your ducts clean um, helps with the debris and the buildup, um, which can ultimately cause major airflow restrictions um, and indoor, you know, poor quality indoor air quality. You know, that's really interesting, Heather. But, you know, I just learned actually last month, which was National Clean Air Month, that the indoor air in your home is polluted five times more than the air outside your home. So I thought that was interesting. Coupled with what you said, um, I it's really important that if you want to stay healthy, that you want to breathe clean air, you have to deal with the furry family member issue, right? And yes, then, you I know, agree. I always think of a pet as a dust mop anyway, because the hair is picking up the debris. And like you said, but I never thought about the living organisms that can actually live. I mean, there's obviously fleas um, and maybe ticks if that's the case, but all of that can become in the air on your furniture, on your carpeting, on your walls, right? Yes, definitely. Okay, so we got to get those ducts, air ducts clean. Okay, so when looking for a company to provide this kind of service, what guidance can you provide? What should we look for when we hire someone? Yes, uh, so definitely we, um, you know, recommend looking for someone who is BBB accredited, um, someone who has a solid background, has been around for a long, you know, a long time. We've been here since 1967 and have had, probably done thousands of duct cleanings for customers. You want to make sure that they're very experienced in this um, because if it's not done correctly, it can cause major damage. Um, One of the other things you want to look for too is they may not come out and say duct cleaning. Um, They may refer to it as IAQ, which is indoor air quality. Okay. Now what about uh, someone who's a member of the National Air Duct Association? Who knew there was a National Air Duct Association, right? There is, um, and there are plenty of them out there. Um, we encourage you to, you know, look for recommendations from, from family and friends, um, but ultimately looking at reviews and, and checking into those, um, you know, online We have so much at our fingertips right now, but definitely looking online um, to make sure that they're, 
you know, members of these sorts of, of sites. So um, I'm going to throw a question in there. So actually, I met Heather and the team at Brown because they came to assess my air duct situation. So how do you know your air ducts need cleaning? Um, so your air duct, especially for pet friendly homes, you know, you're you're sneezing, you're coughing, you're finding um, sort of extra dust around. Um, that's kind of when you know that you need to have that duct cleaning. Um, we typically recommend about every five to eight years in a pet-friendly home. Okay, because I noticed that there was kind of dirt around my air ducts. And mm -hmm. I mean, I'm always cleaning my house. So that kind of freaked me out that the white ceiling was getting very dirty around the air duct. And then what was really impressive was when one of your uh, agents, a uh, gauge sales member came over, he insisted on seeing my attic. And I said, uh, well, okay, why do you need to climb up in my attic? I said, I've never been in the attic. Only The only person who's been up there has been the cable guy, right? And no, it's not Larry the cable guy, although that is one of my favorite movies. I don't tell many people that. But anyway, so he said, I just want to make sure that none of the ductwork is damaged because that can also create some of that dirt around the air duct, right? Mm -hmm. So now, yes. now tell us what an air, like, especially if you have a pet, what does that air duct cleaning consist of? Um, so basically we come in, uh, there's a, a machine that we run through your ducts um, to get all that debris out. Um, and then we sanitize it with a disinfectant. Okay. And then you clean my duct grills, right? Correct. Yes. Now, do yeah, you we want to make sure that, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to make sure I was going to say, should my pets be on premises? Is it a loud machine? Should I, you know, board them for the day? Um, I don't think you necessarily need to board them for the day. It is a little bit loud. Um, I would definitely keep them, you know, in a room, um, not around the machine or, you know, where they can hear too much of it. But um, it's pretty, you know, pretty quiet overall. Okay, but the machine is big, right? Yes. Yes, it is. Right. It's a specialized machine. Someone told me it costs like $10,000 or more, right? Correct. So it's like they wheel it into your house. Okay. I am going to leave the pets some at the, at the boarding kennel for the day just so I don't have to deal with the barking and the machinery and everything else. Okay. So you said that air duct cleaning in a pet home should occur every five to six years. Is that right? Or did I miss something? Uh, no, about every five to eight years. Okay, five um, to eight. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then what does it usually cost? I mean, it's not a cheap service. Do they do it by the air duct or is it like an overall job? Yes. Yeah, so typically we would send someone out um, to give a free estimate. Um, I would say it ranges probably 800 to 1400. There's there's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, it's based on the size of your home, the amount of duct work that you have. Um, so, you know, the materials for sanitizing and, and cleaning all of that out. Okay. So eight, 800 to 1400, that's probably the average around the country. And it really depends on what's up in the air ducts and probably what kind of shape your air ducts are in. Should you be asking for the guy who comes to your house, you know, for, um, certificates or anything like that? 
Oh yeah. We definitely recommend, um, when you're calling in to, to schedule, making sure that, you know, there's, they have certified people on staff to, to, to clean those ducks for you. Okay. So, and in, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Yep. And you definitely want to make sure you get somebody out to look at the duck work before, just like Gage did with you, um, to make sure there's no issues with your duck work before we, we begin that work. You know, it sounds kind of like a boring topic, you know, cleaning air ducts. But, you know, the reality is, and we talk about this all the time in the show, you know, having a pet is a certain lifestyle choice. And with pets, these lifestyle choices absolutely cost money. So, I mean, I'm going to spend, you know, a thousand-ish to get my ductwork cleaned uh, this uh, this week coming up. But it's really these choices that you have to think about when you do have a pet. And also, you know, it's one thing, even if you have like a hairless dog or cat, you still might need your ductworks clean because they admits, you know, scurf, which is dead skin cells, which is also in there. It's not as bad as hair or a guinea pig or a hamster, or if you have lots of these pets in your house. Imagine someone with a big German shepherd. They probably can't go every five to eight years. In that case, it's probably every four to five years. But this is just some things to think about. So, at, you know, and also because prices are going up, and after COVID, I think we all have a recognition of keeping ourselves as healthy as possible. Right, Heather? Yes, correct. And, you know, so if you have allergies or a family member has allergies or people come to visit, you really want to ask them if they have allergies, if you have uh, a four-legged family member. Okay. So now we've talked about what it entails. It's probably a few hour process based on the number of ducks you have, correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. So can you give us a few other ways as pet owners that we can maintain our heating and cooling systems, especially when it comes to pet dander and other pet allergens? Sure. Uh, you want to replace your filters every month, especially being a, a pet owner, that fur getting stuck in there, whatever else they could be bringing in. Um, you want to make sure that you have regular preventative maintenance. Um, it's really not a uh, a significant cost to keep your system, you know, well-maintained. And, and what does that entail? Is that just like a cleaning of the HVAC system? Yep. They'll come in, they'll clean it, they'll assess it. Um, you want to kind of do it in the spring and in the fall be before turning on air conditioning or heating. Um, you know, they come in, they'll look, they'll be able to, you know, um, discover any sort of like mold, mildew, bacteria growth, pet you know, for buildup in your system just be, before it comes in a larger issue. Hey, we're coming to a hard break. So Heather, hold that thought. We're going to finish up this discussion in our next segment. And later on in the show, we're going to hear from Dr. Fleck in Flex Facts. He's talking about bee stings. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We love to communicate with you via social media. Use The Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and our buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com. Buzz.com. Know what? What? 
Since I got adopted, I've learned a lot about these humans. Uh, I know. I mean, check out these two. It's Flirt City over here. Yeah, I noticed that. It looks like my human is definitely into your human. Oh, look! I think she's getting his number. Nice. Your human's got some sweet moves. Takes after his dog. <laughs> oh, look, they're doing that thing where they put their arms around each other. She kicked up a leg. It's like in the movies. That's awesome. Looks like we're going to be hanging out a little bit more. Thank you for joining us on the Pet Buzz this morning. The show is hosted by the dynamic pet duo. I'm petroendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Hey, we're back with Heather Zabinski of Brown Heating and Cooling talking about the importance of cleaning air ducts when you are a pet owner. After the winter's over and your system is not, you're not really having heat, a lot of that can mold and mildew can build up over the summer months. And then once it's turned on in the fall months, it blows out all that mold and mildew. You might start having allergies where your nose is going to run, your eyes are going to water. And that might be true of the pet too. But what you're going to see is you're going to have a really itchy pet. A lot of pets who have allergies, it manifests itself with a lot of itching. So actually, I'm glad that we're talking about this now, because if you haven't had your system serviced, you might want to do it. And then you might want to reschedule a cleaning or just an overall, I don't know, I don't know what the cleaning involves, but you might want to put yourself on the calendar. Take the time now to find uh, a great provider, uh, you know, a BB, a Better Business Bureau provider. These are all really important because this is an expensive service. Look at the recommendations of the service just to make sure that you're getting the right fit. Uh, I was fortunate. I got a great guy who came out to my premises to assess. He was very thorough and explained the process for me. So uh, I'm sorry for interrupting you, Heather, but what other ways, I mean, should we consider like a home health, a home, a whole home filtration system. Is that an option for us? Oh yeah. We have, um, an induct air purification system that can be installed right into your ductwork, um, to, to help with that. You know, I was thinking about that. I recently worked for April air and they have one. And I was thinking about having an April air unit uh, installed onto my HVAC system so that I can breathe um, that clean air. What about buying air purifiers? Is that something people should think about too? Yeah, especially if you're, you know, even family members are, you know, ridden of uh, allergens um, or you have the pets in your home that you're starting to notice are having allergies. Uh, we would definitely recommend an induct air purification system. Yeah, or just even a purification system in general, like a room mm -hmm. air purifier. Uh, and a lot of people I know, um, and they are, and they're actually very good. They have sometimes. Well, the to buy a true HEPA is probably the way to go because a true HEPA takes about ninety nine point nine seven percent of the allergens out of the air, and probably virus size particles about. 0.03 micron. See, I did learn a lot, right? <laughs> I did learn a lot from April air. So it's really important that if you do buy that room air purifier, um, 
you go for a true HEPA and you also look for, which is kind of the classic now, is force uh, four-way filtration system. That's, I think, what is really like the height of it all. That's what you want to get, the, the classic best system. That's what you want to strive for. So Heather Sabicki, thank you so much for joining us. Um, before you go, would you please share uh, the Brown Heating and Cooling website with us? Sure. It's brownhc.com. Just to remind you, that was Heather Zabicki of Brown Heating and Cooling. You'll want to stick around with me because a little later in the show, I am talking about some really interesting world news. Great. Um, And of course, the kindness that people show to animals, especially children. So important. So now it's time for Celebrity Pet News. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. Now it's time for Celebrity News. Turns out that celebrity dogs, like their kids, are friends with each other too. On one of the final episodes of Ellen DeGeneres, you know the show yeah. was ended in May, yeah. uh, the host sat down with her friend Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You know, the two women are neighbors, I didn't know that, and they talked about how their dogs see each other more than they do. It seems the two women probably share the same dog walker, and the dogs really enjoy spending time on the beach together. Well, after showing pictures of the dogs on screen, the two of them humorously disagreed over which dog is which as they both have similar looking fluffy brown canines. Now here's the deal. Louis Dreyfus, she knew her dog, but Ellen kept confusing the two. Ellen didn't know which dog. Now I found this really amusing. Uh, and one of the reasons I found it amusing is when I lived in New York, you used to hear these dreaded stories about dog owners would leash up a dog, you know, whether they're at the dog park, take it home and realize after they came home from work, it wasn't their dog. Mm. So I think people, dog owners, really need to know, really make, really need to make a study of what their dog looks like, <laughs> right? I guess so. Because I don't believe <laughs> that, like people, all dogs do not look alike. Right, Dr. Fleck? I find it a little unusual that they can't identify their own pet, but well, I guess that happens. Julia Louise Dreyfus, she knew her dog. She even pointed in the picture that the dog had a stripe here. And Ellen said, uh, okay. So bad Ellen didn't know her dog. Okay, well, now it's time for you know what for Flex Facts. Welcome to Just the Facts. Just the Facts. Fact or fiction? Just the Facts, ma'am. You want answers! I want the truth! Dr. Fleck, what are we going to talk about today? Bee stings. Bee stings? Okay, that's good. So if your dog is stung by a bee, there are a few things you can do at home to help the you know, the inflammation and the pain associated you know what? with it. I think this is a great topic because in my yard, I have tons of pollinators. I want to attract bees, mm-hmm. but then I have the problem of dogs. And don't forget the wasps that come. Yeah, sure. So to be sure to monitor your dog's breathing, this is after it's been stung and behavior for, for several hours after that sting. If at any point your dog experiences trouble breathing or has symptoms other than some minor redness, itching pain, and maybe some swelling at the the sting site, it should be seen 
ASAP by a veterinarian who can administer fact, fast-acting injections of steroids and antihistamines along with maybe some oxygen therapy if needed. Okay, Doc. So emergency care if it starts reacting okay. badly. So, okay, Doc, but what can I do at home if I realize that my dog has gotten stung by a bee? Well, first, try to remove the stinger from your dog's skin by scraping it with the edge of a credit card. Mm-hmm. Don't use tweezers to remove the singer because they can squeeze more of the venom into the dog. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, okay. It is. So you oh. got to have your credit card nearby. Okay. So once the stinger is removed, dab a mixture of baking soda and water on the on the sting site to just kind of soothe the pain. Okay. Then re- to reduce the swelling, you can hold an ice pack to the sting site for. Some period of time, at least 10 minutes. That's if your dog will let you. Yes, if your dog will let okay. you. Okay. And if your dog is scratching at the, the sting site and causing trauma to itself, consider putting a sock or some sort of a, a covering on the dog's foot to cover its claws and to try to, and maybe even a temporary e collar to keep it from scratching even further and making more damage. Yeah, I mean, even if you do have a sock, you have to make sure that you can wrap the sock depending on, you know, where the bee sting is. Obviously, you you think it's going to be on the paw, but I mean, imagine if it's, you know, on its face or its nose or something like that. So finally, call me. Call your veterinarian to ensure it is safe to administer any kind of antihistamines like Benadryl to your dog. And this medication will reduce the symptoms of the bee sting and help your dog feel more comfortable. Will he be sleepy? Benadryl always makes me sleepy. Yeah, you give it to kids to make them sleep, remember? I don't know. I don't have any kids. Yeah, so. Okay, well, okay so what's the overall prognosis for dogs with bee stings? Yeah, well, with, with dogs with minor symptoms have no problem recovering from bee stings, although they may not learn their lesson and can get stung again. Okay. But dogs with more serious allergic reactions generally recover well with prompt veterinary care. In other words, get to your veterinarian. So if you start seeing those difficult breathing signs, okay. In rare cases, a dog may die from a bee sting, but this really isn't common. Well, that's good to know. Anything else we need to, to know? That's all the Flex Facts for the week. Up next, bet you can't wait for my I Likey of the Week. According to the American Animal Hospital Association and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology, pets need sunscreen too. EpiPet Sun Protector, the only FDA-approved pet sunscreen on short-haired, light-colored, hairless, golden retrievers and other dogs susceptible to skin cancer. Contained in a sports bottle, EpiPet allows you to turn the bottle upside down, making it easier to spray your dog all over to protect your dog from the sun all day and every day. Epi-Pet.com EpiPet is another proud partner of the pet buzz so i'm a cat and i just moved in with this new human and she's got this little toy she's always playing with all day long tap 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 bloop bloop she can't put it down there it is oh and get this she even talks to it last week she asked it for chinese and guess what egg rolls showed up like magic humans have cool toys a person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet be that person adopt Brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. 
Welcome back. You're listening to the Peppas, the best in pet talk radio, where we focus on enhancing the bond between pets and their people. I'm pet trendologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. That's the way it has to be, because that's the way I like it. It's genius. I like it. It's to die for. I like it. Well, my likey of the week has to do with pet perennials, which offers pet memorial gifts and pet milestone packages with a purpose. So a milestone gift could be a birthday. It could be celebration of the day when you rescued your pet. You know, celebrate your animal human bond with their direct-to-consumer gift packages or delight a friend or family member with a thoughtful gift that honors the loss of a pet or commemorates, like I said, a special milestone in their companion's life. You know, so many times when a friend's dog dies, a lot of times people just don't know what to say, you know? I mean, they're kind of awkward. So this might be a great website to look for a small gift or look for a card. You know, the company website offers, like I said, pet loss sympathy cards, pet memorial gardens, which are very popular, and they have plant stakes with wildflower seed packs, feline and canine bundles for birthdays, playtimes, and of course, treats, toys, and a lot more. So Pet Parentals even offers a thoughtful, convenient, and affordable direct-to-client gift service to comfort a client or employee at the time of the loss. And for more information, you can visit PetPerennials.com. That's P-E-T-P-E-R-E-N-N-I-A-L-S.com. Well, it seems as if our next guest is on the phone, Dr. Fleck. That's kind of exciting to me, especially the topic. That's yeah, gonna sure. Although our pets comfort us in good times and bad, especially when we're ill, New University of Guelph research suggests that pet owners with a suspect, suspected case of COVID-19 should limit close contact with their pets. And our next guest is going to tell us why. So joining us today is Dr. Scott Weiss, a professor in the Department of Pathobiology at the University of Guelph. Ontario Veterinary College, and the director of the Center for Public Health and Zoonosis. And for the last two years, he has his research and his colleagues have conducted extensive research on the transmission of, you guessed it, COVID-19 between humans and animals. Dr. Weiss, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. You know, Dr. Weiss, um, I know you've been doing this research for a while now. What animals have you focused on your research and why? Well, we've focused on pets more than anything else for a couple of reasons. One is just the close contact we have. We had suspicions that pets were susceptible to infection, and they're the species we interact with the, with the most. We've worked with some other groups looking at other species, but our own work has really been focusing on the animals we spend our most time with. Um, it was my understanding that you focused on cats a, uh, a little extensively. Well, we didn't really focus on them, but we had more concern about them because we thought they were going to be more susceptible based on what we knew from the original SARS virus and based on some things that we know about this virus and, and cats and how this virus interacts with cat cells. And and being true from our work and various other studies that cats are, are quite susceptible to this virus. Dogs are, but not as much as cats. So can you talk to us about one of our colleagues, the veterinarian, who 
contacted COVID from a cat. And why is this case so important? Well, I think it's important because it finally let us understand whether there's a real risk of animal to human transmission. We know this virus started in animals, but it's become basically a human virus. And we know we can infect animals fairly readily, but we haven't known whether it comes back from animals. And the big challenge there is, even though we're infecting dogs and cats and various other species, We've got so much human-to-human transmission, it's really hard to say whether a cat infected someone versus a person. So there are some really unique circumstances about this case where it was fairly, you know, cleanly proven that a veterinarian was infected from a cat, not from some other source. Yeah, I mean, this this veterinarian who got infected, I believe, was in Thailand. Um, he was looking at a cat, dying, you know, giving a health check to a cat sure. with the two owners who had COVID. And um, I think during the exam, if I correct, Dr. Weiss, the cat sneezed on her face. The veterinarian was a woman and she had a mask on, but she didn't have complete eye. She had eyewear. She didn't have complete protective gear. Is that correct? Yeah, she didn't have eye protection. She had a mask on and you basically got the story. So there were some owners that had a cat and they had COVID. Um, and the, one of the unique aspects was they ended up having to be taken a long way to the hospital. They went on like a 20 hour ambulance drive and the cat went with them, which is probably an interesting story in itself. And when they got to the hospital, the cat went to the associated veterinary hospital and when they knew the owners had COVID, they were sampling the cat for surveillance and the cat sneezed in the veterinarian's face. And then she developed COVID. And from what they know, the strain that they found in the owners and the strain they found in the cat and the strain they found in the vet, they were all the same. And they were different from the strains that are present in that area and from one other person in the clinic who had a completely unrelated infection. So the fact that the cat and the owners came from a long way away made it easier to track this than if it was a local infection, then who knows where she would have gotten it from because there's so much COVID in the community. So it really was that rare confluence of factors to let them say, yeah, this probably went from cat to vet. Yeah, but I think for veterinarians like yourself, Dr. Fleck, who are practicing or on the front lines and dealing with this, it just kind of gives you the heads up that maybe you need to wear protective gear more so than what you're normally wearing when you're possibly looking at a cat that came from, or any animal that came from a COVID home, don't you think? Well, it's pretty difficult with all the cases that we see. Um, but at, at, the, at the same time, we kind of also wonder, I wonder if many of us have been infected over the last couple of years. It would be kind of interesting having, having no symptoms or maybe having what we might consider to be a cold who knows? And, and that's really a key here, I think, is transmission. And can you talk to us about your research and what it revealed about that? Well, what we know is we, we can pass this fairly readily to cats um, and to dogs. And what we know about cats is, just as we saw with this, that we've been concerned about cats because we've known they can spread it cat to cat whether it's in a household or experimentally, they've got enough virus there that can infect another cat. And we've seen that with zoo cats too. So if they can infect another cat, it makes sense they can infect the person. Dogs don't seem to be as good of a host. They don't have much as much virus in them. They haven't been shown to spread it experimentally. So we're not, you know, we're not saying there's no risk, but we're saying there's a lot less concern. But since we know that we infect cats very commonly, and in our work, it looks like around half of the cats that live with people with COVID get infected. Usually they don't get any disease, or if they do, they get really mild disease and they get over it. But we do a very good job of infecting our cats. 
And then typically it's going to just burn its way through the cats in, in the household, just like it does to the people. But it shows that there might be some concerns if we do move these cats out of an infected household or they go to a shelter or they go to a boarding kennel or they go to a vet, right, where we encounter them. And that's why we still do try to flag cats coming from known active COVID positive households so we can take that extra level of precaution. It's a challenge, though, when there's a lot of COVID in your area, like you said. So what should pet owners, and actually, I'm going to expand the question, to rescue, cat rescue workers know, and how can they take precautions to protect themselves and their pets or the pets they're, they're handling? Well, a lot of it is, you know, we need to kind of get off the air again. So we're one type of species and every other animal is something else, right? We're all animals. And if we're worried about something or we're taking measures to reduce our exposure to other people because we're worried that they might have been exposed or we're worried that we might be infectious, then we should apply that to animals too. So, you know, if I have COVID and I'm staying away from other people and staying away from my family, I should stay away from my cat so I don't infect him and so that he can't then potentially infect the rest of the household. So it's a lot of common sense. If, we're, if we think you're infected, limit your contact with animals. If we think the animal has been exposed to someone with COVID, then we'd rather stay away from that animal. It's a fairly short period of time, just like in humans, but it's just recognizing that similar things can be happening with our animals as happened with us. Um, I'm just curious because I've been curious about the mink industry. Do, do you minks have the same type of respiratory possible ailments as cats? Because I know in that industry, the minks industry was decimated throughout the world. Do they have similar they can. The, the big difference is they're just more susceptible to the virus. So for a virus to infect, it has to attach to cells. And mm-hmm. it does that with a receptor. And a mink receptor is just a really good match for this virus. Ours is a really good match for the virus. Obviously, cats a little bit less, dogs even less. So mink are more likely to get an infection and get a lot of virus in them, allowing disease to occur. And a lot can be subclinically infected. They're healthy. But as you said, some mink can get seriously ill too. So it does spread really nicely through mink farms. And we put a lot of animals in close contact. And that's what we don't have with cats, right? We have a couple cats in a household. We don't have a thousand cats in close proximity. So we don't get the same chances for cats to spread it around like that. Hey, we're going to move to a commercial break. Dr. Weiss is going to stick around with us. But later on the show, I want to remind you, we're talking pet buzz, global news. Sorry to say, another year talking about the Yulin Dog Meat Festival. You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections? EpiPet to the rescue. Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, epi-pet.com. EpiPet is another proud partner of the Pet Buzz. I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed. And I'm veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck here at the Pet Buzz. We are urban, suburban, and and country. Hey, we're back with Dr. Scott Weiss talking about how cats can transfer COVID to their owners. 
Go ahead, Dr. Fleck, you're going to say something? Well, I'm just thinking of general health care that we provide as veterinarians every year for our, our cat patients. Um, we, we obviously have some annual vaccines. Is this something that we're going to be looking forward to in the near future for vaccinating cats for COVID? No, at this point, I don't think it's going to be useful. We have a vaccine. It's, it's, there's, there are a few vaccines now, and they're mainly used in mink and in zoo animals. And when we think about why we would want to vaccinate, there are a couple of different things we can consider. Well, do they get infected very often? Well, the, the cats do, but do they get very sick? Not really. It's pretty rare for a cat, at least with the strains we have now, to get seriously ill. So there's not as much value there. We're worried about some animal species being reservoirs, but that really shouldn't apply to cats because we don't have a thousand cats together to spread it around and keep circulating the virus. And vaccines may not reduce transmission. These are fairly basic, like crude vaccines that prevent severe disease. So where what we're really using them for is kind of a high value species where we know there's a risk of death. So non-human primates, the great apes, gorillas, the big zoo cats, because we know a lot of them have died of this. So we're trying to protect them from getting seriously ill. Mink, it's used to try to slow things down. So you don't get a lot of mink getting sick and dying, but you also don't get a lot of circulation of the virus on the farm because that's when the virus can change and become a new variant. That could be a concern if it kicks back into people. We don't have most of those factors with cats. You know, if we get a new strain that causes more severe disease, then great, we've got a vaccine, we might be able to roll out. If we find out that certain populations of cats, you know, old cats with heart disease, maybe they're more likely to die. Okay, well, maybe we consider that. But at this point, I don't think we have a health risk that's enough to say it's worth the, the effort and everything that goes to vaccinating cats. Yeah, but I, you know, at the end of the day, I still think like if you're dealing with rescue colonies where cats come from all over the place, I mean, cats can travel up to two miles to visit a friend, according to a study at University of North Carolina, then I think you do have to kind of be careful and be weary. Uh, it might be a good idea if you are a rescue worker to make sure you get your vaccine and get your boosters. Wouldn't you think so, Dr. Fleck? Yeah, I'm just thinking in terms of a couple of years ago when, when COVID came upon us and we at our practice wanted to do COVID testing and uh, we were pretty much denied doing that um, from the public health department. And that was more on the human side. And I totally understand what the concerns were. And I, I think that probably uh, there's still the restrictions on doing testing now with the private veterinarians anyway, uh, because they'd rather have you go through the testing for all the traditional uh, upper respiratory conditions that they may have. And I, I guess the evolution of COVID has to become more, I guess, more serious in pets before we as veterinarians and you as researchers that are that are constantly reviewing this feel as though that, that the general public needs to be too concerned about it. And I, I enjoy having your conversation about it because we're just going to treat it as an upper respiratory infection and we have good results. So um, I think that kind of answers what you're asking yeah. me too. And I think doc is right in line with it. And that's why we've got him here to, to give confidence to the cat owners out there to know that we're doing the right thing for them at this time. And I think your comment about rescues is important to think about the other way is you know, we're worried about people getting from cats, but actually I'm more worried about someone infecting a colony of cats because then you get transmission in that group of cats and then they're also exposed to wildlife. And one of the other dynamics that we're concerned about is 
we want this just to be a human virus. We don't want it spreading to other species. And we know it's made its way into deer, which is a concern. And if it gets into community cats, then there's a risk of exposure of rodents and other species that maybe could be a reservoir. So I'd rather keep it as a human disease by having people that might be affected in particular be aware that we should be restricting contact with wildlife or animals that are outside with wildlife, such as community cats. I think that's um, really pertinent to think of the big picture because, I mean, for example, I live in a neighborhood that we have a creek and we have a lot of wildlife. So it's not uncommon to see raccoons during the day um, and not necessarily rabid, but looking for food to feed their young. And of course you have other animals because of the creek. We have rodents, but we also have a colony of cats that are based in one person's home and she feeds them. And sometimes they come and sometimes they go. So I think when you think about the big picture in terms of a community, um, I think this is an important topic to talk about. Oh, this is really important. Dr. Weiss, thank you so much. I'm, I'm sure all of our feline listeners are very interested in this as we are. Mm-hmm. And it was so helpful. And thank you for coming today. Can you give us your website so that they can seek out more information? Yeah, so we have more information on COVID and various other infectious disease things at a website called Worms and Germs Blog. It's just wormsanddermsblog.com. Love that. Wow. Worms and germs. Well, everyone, that was Dr. Scott Weiss, a professor in the Department of Pathobiology at University of uh, Guelph's Ontario Veterinary College and the director of the Center for Public Health and Zoonosis. Um, What an interesting conversation. Oh, very important. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny because we want to believe, especially here in Florida, where people aren't masking up because, you know, basically... A lot of it has to do with the political situation, but at least we know that people should keep an eye out depending on if they have cats or there are cat lovers. But just in general, to know what's still happening on the COVID medical side, I think it's really important. Yeah. So what's next? When I come back, I'll fill you in on Pet Buzz Global News. You are listening to the Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. And now it's time for Global Pet News. And now, Pet Buzz News from around the globe. Unfortunately, Dr. Fleck, it's that time of year. On June, fir- June 21st in the south city of Yulin, once again, it's the horrific lychee and dog meat festival uh, that begins on that day. Uh, just recently, Police in the city of Shangchi, together with activists campaigning for the end of the slaughter of dogs, had, had intercepted a dog truck headed for Yulin. Uh, the truck had um, was spotted with about, about 500 miles from Yulin, and inside they found cramped cages of terrified dogs that were really suffering. Uh, The group was thankfully able to rescue all 386 386 dogs dogs in one truck. In one truck. And it brings me to an interview I recently had with John Goodwin about transporting dogs um, from puppy mills to stores and to see how that transmission of they all got sick. Well, anyway, the... The police pulled over the truck. Um, the activists were thrilled. They helped out. Um, and the the Shanshi police were so quick, 
so swift in responding. And the activists noted that if all of the police throughout China were this instrumental, that literally this Chinese brutal dog meat trade would come to an end. And actually, a lot of people want to know how the dog meat festival, the Yulin festival came about. I thought it was a much older festival, right? It was only launched in 2010 and it was launched by dog meat traders to boost, you know, flaging sales. Um, So the bad part is that this festival attracts thousands of people who come across the province and really from Southern China. And the funny thing is that, I mean, a lot of the people in Yulin, I mean, despite 72% of the Yulin citizens don't regularly eat dog meat. So, and right now in China, there is a significant opposition to the dog meat trade um, as animal welfare uh, grows there. And what's really interesting, now there's a government task force that's currently debating the issue of the ban uh, with both the president and the first lady. They're in favor of putting an end to the sickening practice. And they really say about 30 million dogs are killed for their meat in other parts of Asia. The sad part, a lot of these dogs are stolen um, from from unsuspecting pet owners. Um, but it's important to note that dog meat is banned in Hong Kong, Taiwan, Taiwan, Thailand, Singapore, and the Philippines, as well as other cities and Shenzhen and Zuhan in the main, on the Chinese mainland. Um, the Siem Reap province in Cambodia and 17 other cities and regencies in Indonesia. Um, and I think it's important to recognize that and, and recognize that people are going out of their way um, from all over the world to, to go to Yulin to buy dogs so they will not be sold for these delicacies of like stews and crispy dog meat. It's atrocious. You know what's interesting about that and, and the statistics that we hear every day with polls? And you said 72% opposed, 72% of the population. Don't eat meat on a regular basis. Don't eat dog meat on a regular basis. That means 28% of the people do. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. I would No, I think it's just, you know, I think, um, you know, it's funny because a lot of times when these people get caught and they end up getting fines, they turn over their dogs, they end up getting fines. They don't end up paying the fines because the fines are so hefty, it would actually be more than the value of the dogs they catch. So, I mean, I think that, you know, in some cases, I remember last year, they got someone to close down their farm and they helped these activists help them have a blueberry farm instead. So I think it's like, you know, literally getting people to get engaged in, in businesses that seem to work. But, you know, after talking about this horrible story, um, because, you know, we'll be thinking about it for a few days as we go home and we look at our dogs, uh, I think it's good to end with a tell me something good. Okay. And that's like... News of the day got you down? No worries. Pet trendologist Charlotte Reed is here with Tell Me Something Good. This is a necessity like air and oxygen. Tell me something good. Um, Tell me something good. uh, Actually, this Tell Me Something Good was published in the Indian Times. um, And, you know, in a world 
were that's gone crazy in the last two plus years. Kindness and empathy are traits that make us truly human. And children really are the ones who manifest these qualities in the best possible way. So demonstrating the same, there was a little boy and he's being hailed online for his kindness after he helped a cat with his umbrella while it was raining. In the video, which I'm going to post online, um, the young boy is seen standing outside on a sidewalk with an umbrella while a cat is getting drenched. Well, to protect her, the little boy moves a little closer to the cat and holds the umbrella over uh, her head from the rain. As the cat moves around, the boy patiently holds the umbrella and moves with the cat. Um, we're going to definitely post these pictures up on our social media channels. Um, you know, one person said, this is exactly how I ended up getting into cats. When I was a kid, I found a cat in the rain, brought it home. My mother wanted nothing to do with it. Well, you, guess what? The cat ceased being mine after a week Go and ended up being my mother's little darling. So I'm just curious, what do you all think out there? What do you think of this boy's, uh, boy's gesture? Let us know. Post on our Facebook channel or Instagram. Tell us what you think on Twitter. We really want to know what you think. Well, you know, it's that time. Did you hear that sound, Dr. Fleck? Already again? It's always too soon to wrap the show, but we want to give you a preview of next week. So next week, we're going to talk about holiday hazards in the 4th of July, because you know that's coming up really the weekend after next, and taking better pet pictures, because soon in July, it's American Pet Photo Day. Oh, good. And of course, July is also Lost Pet Prevention Month. You know, um, would you mind, Dr. Fleck, can you thank our special guest? I, I shall. Special thanks to our guest, Heather Zabicki and Dr. Scott Wees. And we must always thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Bradenton and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and Dr. Michael Fleck. www.thepetbuzz.com Learn more about us, the show, and our guests. When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart, brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need to keep them healthy and happy. www.epi-pet.com EpiPet is another proud partner of the Pet Buzz. What would you do with two and a half more years with your dog? Two and a half more years of fetch, of walks, of love. Studies show that overweight dogs live two and a half years less on average than dogs at a healthy weight. But Slim Paws is here to help. Veterinarian recommended weight loss in one daily chew for your dog. Slim Paws for the long, healthy life of your dog. Online at TevraPet.com. That's T-E-V-R-A Pet.com. Tevra Pet and Slim Paws. Proud supporters of the Pet Buzz.